All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Acts chapter 2, um, verses 42 through 47. We're, we're wrapping up chapter 2 today. Um, my family, one thing that they don't love, or I should say my kids don't love family pictures uh, together. Um, my wife and I do. You can guess which one maybe loves it more, but we both love it. And um, uh, I'm not going to embarrass my kids. I won't put a family pic of us up. But, but so often, well, they're, years from now, I can do that. I can't do that now. That'll embarrass them. Uh, but there have been times in our family, maybe your family, where you take a, a family picture and either right before or right after, there was just chaos. But for that one moment, everything came together. And it looks like, at least, you were having a good day. So uh, I had Alyssa scour the internet for me and find pictures of, of other families. So uh, I believe we have a, a picture, um, or maybe our slides aren't working. No, we do. Okay, so this family taken by a professional photographer. It looks like Liz Hansen Photography. I'm sure you should go check her out. Um, but they're just happy walking along the beach there, right? Little baby in hand. And then let's look at what happened just after this. Look at that. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I trust that the baby's okay. That sand looks very soft. The, the kid in the middle, hopefully his arms are still in, in their sockets. But uh, man, sometimes that's real world <laughs> when, when, when the original picture is, is what we want it to be like. So Acts chapter 2, we'll get rid of that. That's going to be distracting. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we get this picture of the early church. Um, and and it, it's the early church firing on all cylinders. It doesn't mean that there wasn't messiness, right? Uh, we'll, we'll see that very soon in, in the coming chapters. But, but we, we do get this, this beautiful picture. And, and I think it is a picture that, that we, we can long for and, and, and aim for as, as a church. But, but no, like every church is full of people that are sinful people, right? We struggle, we battle, we hurt each other. But let, let's look at the early church and particularly what they were devoted to. I'm going to start reading verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're going to zoom in on, on these four uh, ways that this early church was devoted. But before we even get to the four, what, what does it mean to be devoted? I found one definition that said, when you're devoted, you're consumed with something that is so beautiful that you occupy yourself diligently to it. Right? It's, it's, you're just so overtaken by its beauty that, that you, you, you occupy yourself to it. Like you, you, you want this, you're, you're, you're committed, you're devoted to this. Maybe when you hear devotion, maybe you think passion or uh, maybe discipline can be a part of devotion, though, though it's not, I don't think discipline fully makes up devotion. Discipline is like, I need to do this. Like I need to eat my vegetables. I need to work out. Um, devotion isn't, isn't just duty either. Duty is like, 
um, I ought to do something, right? Like, like I really ought to go to my great-great-aunt's Petunia's like 95th birthday, even though I've only seen her once. Like I should go there. That would be good to do. No, devotion is this, I want to. Like I, I want this. And there's this, there's this laser-like focus on it. I think of uh, athletes uh, when I think of devotion. I think of the Winter Olympics. I know the Olympics are controversial. Some of you might not be watching like out of protest. I'm, maybe I'm just more shallow than you. I don't know. I'm watching the Olympics. Um, I, I enjoy it. I know that what's being done to the weaker people is an atrocity. So I, I wasn't quite thinking that when I came up with this uh, illustration. So uh, zone in with me, though. The Olympics. Uh, I, I love the Olympics. I get into it every year. I am into it less this year. I don't know if it's the coverage or what. But um, we see these athletes every four years. And some of them we never see again. But there's others that they're so good that they're there, like Olympic after Olympic. So like Chloe Kim, the, the snowboarder, from California. We saw her win gold four years ago. She's done it again this year. Um, or if you've been a, a fan of Sean White, it feels like he's like been in the Olympics for like 40 years. I think he's only 35, but somehow, um, like we've just seen him like after the decades, just killing it in the Olympics. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't medal this year, but it was still great. Um, but this Olympics, I think of uh, this image of uh, Michaela, uh, I think it's Schifrin. Um, she's a, a downhill skier. We'll pull up the picture in a second. But she's been a skiing star for years. She's only 26 years old. And coming into uh, these games, there was an expectation that she would medal at least a couple times. And the hope is that she would uh, get gold. She is one of the greatest women skiers uh, ever. I mean, she has is, she is, uh, won more um, events in, in a single discipline in downhill skiing um, than any other woman. So uh, this year, though, what happened is, is she had, uh, in her first two events, uh, she, uh, she did not finish the race. The first one, um, she, she missed, I think it was the fifth gate, right? She was skiing like such a hard, aggressive line that she missed. I said that like I know anything about skiing. That's what she said. So I believe her. Um, anyway, in this one, she, she wiped out in her second event. And this is a, a picture of her. She was just sitting there for what, what felt like forever. And, and then NBC, they were, they were uh, critiqued pretty heavily for basically getting right in her face with a camera and interviewing her really soon after. But they, they, I agree they probably shouldn't have done that. But this is what she said. She, she said, it, it just makes me second guess the last 15 years. Right? Like, which is so sad. But here's this woman, 26 years old. She has been devoted. And, and this is a sad image. She has had so much success. But, but her life, her, her whole schedule revolves around winning skiing events, not just the Olympics. Like her diet, I, I'm sure it is fine-tuned uh, towards being the best female skier, not, not just in the world, but of all time. Like she, she lives in the place she lives because of skiing. Most of her relationships are because she's focused on skiing. She lives to, to competitively ski to win. She's not just sort of into skiing. She's devoted to it. And, and, and yes, this is an extreme example of devotion, but I also think it helps us understand, like, okay, that's a picture of devotion. It involves passion and commitment and desire. Um, it, it's rearranging life and priorities. So the early church, here, here are the four things that it says they were devoted to. Well, the first is the apostles' teaching, then the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and then last, the prayers. 
And these are, these are things that, yeah, they had, they had some control. Was, these are things that they chose to devote themselves to. So let's look at these. First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This was a church that was just hungry to learn, right? They had this, this appetite to learn. So when we say the apostles' teaching, we're, we're thinking of uh, the, the capital A, Apostles, right? The word apostles, uh, apostle means sent one. So there's a sense that all believers are, are lowercase a apostles, right? In our Christian DNA, we are all uh, sent ones. But the, the original 12 with the addition of, of the apostle Paul later in Acts, they're the only uh, uh, uppercase, capital A apostles. And the only reason I even tell you this is there, there are certain churches uh, right now um, that, that claim that there are new apostles, and that is not biblical, right? So if you visit a church and someone gets on stage and they introduce them as apostle so-and-so, like politely get up and make up an excuse, like why you need to go home and check your oven or whatever it is, because um, it, there's no passing on of the apostleship. But this early church, they had 3,000 brand new believers, right? They, they knew how many had come to Christ. And these, these apostles, these, the 120 that we read about earlier in chapter two, they, they realized, okay, God just gave us 3,000 brand new Christians that we need to care for. Like we are responsible. God has trusted us with these little baby Christians. We need to help them grow in Christ. And one of the first things Luke tells us is there's a devotion to the teaching of the apostles. Right? This wasn't, they were just getting together on Sundays. No, they're getting together a lot. They're getting together regularly to hear what the apostles were teaching. They were hungry for it. Uh, the greatest commandment, perhaps you're familiar with it, it's in multiple places in the Gospels. Um, one place is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And at least for some Christians, there's so much appeal to loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, but sometimes maybe not so much with loving God with our minds. But Luke mentions this first, and it seems to me that the reason is that everything else in the church, everything else in the life of, of the church and the believer hangs on solid biblical teaching. It defines and guides the church in what is true. And, and sometimes, uh, maybe you've heard uh, critiques of, of certain churches like this. I'm not thinking of any certain churches, but I just know I've, I've heard this multiple times of a believer talking about one church and like, oh, they're just too focused on teaching. And I just don't know if, that is, if that's ever actually a problem. Like maybe in theory, it's possible that a church could be too focused on teaching, but I, I think What's really going on usually is uh, two problems. Either there's, there's bad teaching, right? That, that's fully possible. Teaching that is, is just not biblical, it's not true. Or the second is it's a church that, that doesn't apply what they're being taught. Like they sit, they, they soak it all up, but they don't live it out, right? They're, they're biblically focused, but they're not biblically living. And I don't think the issue really is ever too much teaching. Good teaching is critical. It's foundational for the body of Christ in this early church. Like I said, they're just, they're hungry. They're eating up what the apostles 
had to teach them. I remember when the gospel finally made sense to me, uh, just going into my freshman year of high school, I just, I was so hungry to learn as much as I could. I was reading my Bible, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. I was memorizing scripture like crazy. At one point, I started asking my youth pastor, can you just recommend books to me that I should start reading as someone that's just like finally realizing who God is. I was in a small group, a Bible study with some other high school guys in this college. I was just, I was eating it up. And this early church, I think that's what it was like. So what were they teaching? Well, the New Testament obviously hadn't been written yet, right? They couldn't just say, okay, let's turn to Colossians 1 or, or let's go to Romans 8. Like it, it wasn't there yet. It didn't exist yet. Well, at this point, Paul hadn't written those yet because he didn't even believe in Jesus yet. Yeah, so I'm guessing that this time for the apostles, for the early church leaders, that it was exhilarating. I'm also pretty sure it must have been exhausting for them every night. Like they would go, they would teach, and then maybe have discussion afterwards, question and answer, maybe meeting together one-on-one with people. And then they get home and they got to get ready for the next day. And they're pouring over the scriptures. The Old Testament is what they had then. And I'm sure they're talking with each other, bouncing things off each other, praying together, going to bed exhausted, and then getting up the next day ready for a new opportunity to teach these young believers. Well, certainly they were teaching Jesus, right? They, they were teaching things that they'd heard themselves uh, Jesus teach, right? The Sermon on the Mount, parables. Uh, I'm sure they were teaching private conversations that, that they had had with Jesus. No doubt they were teaching what Jesus had taught them uh, about the Old Testament, all connecting to him on the 40 days between his resurrection and, and ascension. And the early church ate it up. They weren't just meeting like once a week for an hour, hour and a half. Now these new believers were eager to learn. They're going to the temple together. They're getting in homes together. They're, they're gathering certainly on the Lord's day to celebrate the day that Jesus rose, but they were gathering as often as they could. Now, the year's 2022. Maybe we look back and go, oh, man, this is an ancient people. Like ancient people, they must have had more time than we do. I don't think that actually makes any sense. Like many of these people worked six days a week, if not seven. They didn't have nine to fives, right? The 40-hour work week hadn't even been invented yet. They're working overtime without overtime wages. Some of them had businesses. Every business owner I know works really, really hard and works really long hours. No doubt many of these people had families. These were busy people. So don't just compare yourself to them and think, oh, they just had tons of time. No, they, they made choices to be devoted, just like you and I have to make choices with our time. And following Jesus means that we, we cut out some things to make Jesus the priority. So are you hungry for the apostles' teaching, right? And we just call this all of Scripture. Certainly apostles wrote the New Testament, and, and they were clearly using the Old Testament. So are you hungry for Scripture? Or how long has it been since you have been hungry for the word? If you were with us on the first Sunday after the new year, uh, Ron Frost came and, and did our sermon that Sunday, just talked about reading scripture. And, and Ron, if you haven't met Ron before, or just to remind you that day, he, he just like um, oozes, which isn't the best word, but it's all I can think of. He, he just, it just comes out of him like how much he loves 
God's word. Right? It's not duty driven. He just he wants to meet with the Lord. He, he wants to he wants to know God. He wants to love God. So he, he just loves getting into the word. He's he, he's devoted to God's word. I was thinking about all the resources that we have at our disposal, you know, as, as modern day believers. We have Bibles on our phones. We have Bible apps that read to you. I don't know if you know this, but you can even like change the accent that's read to you in certain apps, which is actually kind of cool sometimes. Uh, we, we have access to the greatest preachers in the world that are living right now. We have access to sermons of, of the greatest preachers that have been gone for a long time. We have books galore on every single book of the Bible. We have books available to us on every Christian topic we can think of. Right? We have Bible software that's affordable. We have study Bibles. We have Bible studies. Like we have, we have commentaries. Like if there's a question, like there are answers available. Like we can, we can just dig and dig and dig. There's no shortage of resources. How about opportunities? Even in a small church like ours, there's some opportunities. Tuesday nights, we've got a, a men's Bible study. They're going through First uh, Corinthians. Um, there's a, a group of women that have been meeting together, hoping to rebuild our, our women's ministry. And at some point, we'll, we'll have a Bible study just for women. Uh, we have a Sunday night Bible study. We're going through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We just, during the week, we, we read the text, we study the text, we come together, we ask questions, we, we grapple with it together. Sunday mornings, we have uh, an adult Sunday school class, and they, they, uh, they look at the previous passage from our sermon, and they, they just dig in. Pastor Gary like pours over the passage and prepares all these notes, and they, they just have a, a great, lively discussion. So even in our little church, like there are opportunities to, to have devotion to the Word. Now, I know some of you, like you, you didn't even need us to like give you an opportunity. You just, you found a friend, or, or you made a small group, and, and, and you started reading Scripture together. Man, I, I encourage that. You don't need us to do it. Like, it can organically happen. I think that's great. I'm going to read through right now with someone in our church, and it has been so good for both of us. And my experience is that when you have a partner in, in getting in the word together, it, it goes better for both of you. Um, I, I guarantee you, if you start getting in the word regularly, like if that hasn't been a part of you following Jesus, it needs to be. And if, if you start, man, you will be blown away by, uh, by the impact that it has on your life. All right, they were uh, devoted to the fellowship. If, if you know any Greek word uh, from the Bible, my guess is uh, this word might be one uh, that you know. It's koinonia, right? the word that we translate fellowship. This is, this is what, what is common. Uh, verse 44, it says, um, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And, and we notice in, in, in 42 when Luke says that they were devoted to the fellowship, right? They, they weren't just devoted to that time that we have in the hall after church. No, they were devoted to the fellowship of believers. They were committed to this group that was their church. These people made space for one another. They opened up their homes to each other. They were sharing meals, no doubt. They, they were walking through life together. It, it wasn't just that they'd come to a meeting and then disappear until the next time they saw each other. No, they were, they were committed to walking through the, the highs and the lows of life together. And this picture that we have in Acts is it is beautiful of the early church. It's a joyful body of believers. 
As I said, Luke isn't describing the pain yet. We'll, we'll get there further in Acts, but it, it's more like that view. Um, if you've been on a plane recently and, and, and you're flying back home, and I was trying like spot, okay, where's Camus? I'm like, oh, okay, there's downtown, and oh, there's like the, the river. I see the, the lake, and, and it, it looks awesome from up that high, right? But what you don't see is you don't see the, the potholes in the road. If you can spot like a playground, you can't tell that that kid's making fun of the other kid. Now they're crying. You don't see someone breaking into a car. You don't see corruption. You don't see destruction at that altitude. So Luke's picture of the early church, we don't see the messiness yet. We will get there. We'll zoom in and see sinful people right, doing life together, and it gets messy, and reconciliation is needed. And part of being committed to the fellowship of a church is being committed to working through relational difficulty, right? to work through pain, to forgive. Uh, the body at times, uh, the body of Christ at times in, in the Bible is described as a family. And it's really helpful to view uh, your church as the family of God. It should, be, it should be really hard. It should be painful to walk away from your family. And when we talk about families, obviously no family's perfect, right? Every family has its quirks, its idiosyncrasies, um, even unhealthy tendencies. And, and within a family, we hurt each other, and, and yet we still choose to, to figure out how we're going make it, to make it work, right? When my brother, my, my, my biological brother, if he, if he does something against me, man, we're going to figure it out because he's my brother. And, and church family really should be no different. Right? If you are in the life of the church, and I mean like in community, not just you come uh, sometimes or even regularly, but, but in the life of the church, you will both hurt people and you'll be hurt by people. Both will happen. Uh, fellowship is, it is beautiful and it's costly. You don't have fellowship without giving up something. You give of yourself. And maybe it's, maybe it's opening up your schedule um, to make room for others, or, or, or you give emotionally, you, you serve. Um, maybe sometimes, I mean, straight up, you're, you're, you're giving financially to, to help someone. You open up your home. I mean, there's all these ways that, that we give of ourselves. We have to put ourselves out there, which is hard for everyone. I, I recognize that, that for some, it, it, it feels even harder for you, but Man, if you want to be a part of a church, you've got to figure out a way to, to put yourself out there. You have to give of yourself in order to be committed to the fellowship. And in this passage, we see how they provided for each other. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this wasn't communism, right? No one made them do this. And obviously we see like they're, they're breaking bread in homes. So some people at least owned houses. They had possessions, but they're generous with what they had. They gave to each other as they're aware of needs. And often I think you can measure how well you know someone by, by recognizing if, if you know their needs or not. If you can't tell what someone needs, I would question how well you know them. And yeah, some needs are obvious, but... Everyone I know, including myself, we really like to try and hide our needs. We don't really want to just show everyone our needs. That's a vulnerability that is hard for us. I didn't know this, but there are some churches that when they pass the offering plate or bag, there are some churches that, you know, obviously people give into it. Um, but 
but some practice that if you need, then you, you can just take right from it. Like, we don't do that here. If you saw someone, someone like getting into our offering basket, you'd like ask, hey, do we have a security team? Like, that's not what we do. But, but there are churches that do that. And I was just thinking about, man, how great that is, how, how biblical that is, how I'm sure uh, humbling that is to need to take out of the, the basket. But, but the reality is we all have needs and, and they might look differently. They might come in different packages, but every one of us here has needs. First John 3, 17 and 18 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So Christians or, or a church isn't, we aren't just to be a Bible believing church, we're to be a Bible living church. Right? Our faith is a lived out faith and it should be visible by how we love one another. Um, I know for myself, like we've, we've experienced multiple times where, where people have given to us in the church, they recognize we had a need and, and, and helped us out big time. I remember years ago when Lindsay and I were first married, we were uh, at our last church. I was the youth pastor there. I, I, money was tight. I don't remember why. I don't know if it was like a massive uh, car bill or something, but money was tight. I had these, uh, these New Balance shoes that were just getting worn out. Like they weren't like ratty yet where I shouldn't wear them in public, but they were on the edge. And, and Lindsay's like, just go buy new shoes. Like we, we have the 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. Like just do it. I'm like, no, I'm just going to stretch these out as long as I can. And there's this guy one Sunday after church, Steve Taylor. He comes up to me, older gentleman, comes up to me and he goes, hey, would these fit you? And he hands me a pair of New Balance shoes, my size, uh, not the color I preferred, but my size. And, and I don't know what the story was. Like Steve played it off like, oh, I can't return these. I don't really buy it, Steve. Like, I think you saw that I needed something. I mean, I, I could go on and on about how I've been blessed by others noticing need and, and helping take care uh, of me or, or my family. But being committed to, uh, to the fellowship of a body, it's more than attending on a Sunday. Like, I, I hope you know that. When we're committed to the fellowship of a church, we are in the lives of other believers. And, and the fellowship that we have with each other, it impacts our growth. Like how many times have you, have you been with other Christians? Maybe it's after church service on a Sunday. You're in a conversation and, and you say something, you share something that's, that's real. I mean, it's, it's it, it re, some real need going on. You didn't, you didn't pre-plan it, it just kind of happened. And then that other person says something and God just uses them to give you exactly what you needed in that moment. Right? God, God didn't give that to you when you were just on your own sitting and thinking and praying. God didn't even give that to you like when you're in the word with him, communing. But, but he, he, he gave it to you in that conversation with that brother or sister in Christ because he's designed us to need one another. I've heard, uh, I've heard a couple times Christians say they don't need fellowship with other believers. And, and the, the, the sentiment most times is, is they're saying like, yeah, I find other people at church aren't as uh, spiritually mature as I am. And I've even heard someone say, they'll just slow me down. And so there are all kinds of problems with that, but I'll play that game for just a moment. So uh, what, if, what if you being slowed down was worth it because it actually sped that brother or sister up in Christ? Like maybe, yeah, maybe your growth is, is slowed down, so to speak, but that other brother or sister, their growth trajectory takes off because you walked through life with them. So, so are you committed to the fellowship? Online friends, 
Um, I don't fully know what it looks like for you uh, in order to be connected. Like you guys are facing different challenges than we are in the room here. And and there's some of you that we know you're online. Like you you tell us from time to time, like, hey, I'm still tracking with you. There's a ton that we, we have no clue. We don't know if you're local. We don't know if you're out of state. We have no idea, but I would encourage you, like you gotta figure out while, while you're just online, you gotta figure out how to be connected. I would encourage you to, to reach out. Like if, if you went here two years ago, I'd encourage you to reach out to some people in our church and, and find ways to be connected. And at some point, my hope is, and I hope like really soon, my hope is that we get to see you again in person because we miss you. Um, I, I look at scripture, I look at my own just experience in church, and I know that, that we need you. Like you, might, you might not feel like you need us, but we need you. I, I don't know if, if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever broken out a puzzle before. I'm not a big puzzle person, but um, the last few years we, we've broken out a puzzle at, at Christmas time, and uh, this year we, we broke out a puzzle. It's taken us like weeks to do it. And we're getting in, it's, it's coming together and, and you get to the end of the puzzle and, and there's just that last handful of pieces and, and you can just feel it, right? If you, if you lack momentum, you've got momentum with this puzzle now and you're plugging away and you're getting closer and closer and, and you're looking at that pile of pieces and you're looking at the number of holes in your puzzle and you're like, man, are we missing a piece? Like, no. Well, our COVID puppy got one or two pieces this year, and, and, and it stinks. Like, you, you get mad. And um, I'm not saying that we're mad at anyone for not being here, but what I'm saying is, like, we feel it. We, we miss you. you. You might not, but we miss you. We're missing out on conversations with you. Um, and obviously, uh, you got to wrestle between you and the Lord on, on when the right time is to come back. I, I would encourage you, actually, to to get some other believers in that with you, praying through that. But man, I, I hope it's soon. Let's keep going. Uh, devoted to the breaking of bread. So is this communion? Is, is, is this just a meal together? It seems likely to me that, that it's both, right? They were certainly eating meals often together. In verse 46, it says, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received uh, their food with glad and sincere hearts. So I think that they're having meals together And then oftentimes uh, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a part of that meal. And we've had uh, a couple sermons. I look back, we've had a couple sermons that that have been pretty heavily focused on communion just in the last year. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but Jesus gave us this meal right, to remind us of what he's done for us on the cross. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We we get this this physical reminder that we take into us that that our, our need for forgiveness uh, of sin, that Jesus has met that, right? That, that he's made a way for rebels to be reconciled. This is good news. It's, it's also a visual that helps us look forward to, right? That our hope isn't just in this life, but it is, is, it is in the, that God will make all things new, that he will gather all of his people. I was, I was thinking about heaven uh, recently and thinking about even just the reconciliation of believers to one another. Like if you've been a part of a church, maybe, maybe you've seen a church split or even been a part of a, <clears throat> a church split. Um, I, I was recently at a funeral of, of a beloved brother in Christ. Actually, that guy who gave me the shoes, I didn't even think about that till now, Steve Taylor. I was at his funeral and, and, and he was so beloved that, that people um, that, that had wounded each other in, in church over the years 
gathered together to remember Steve. It, it, was, it was a pretty uh, surreal thing for me to see. And I, and I was praying because I'm like, I know that guy like, doesn't like that guy. And, and that family, like they used to vacation with that family, be so close. I'm, I'm just looking around the room, amazed that all these people were together and praying like, okay, Lord, are, are you going to use today to heal some of those things? And, and I don't know if he did, but, but it made me think of, of heaven, that, that, that someday all of those relationships all of those relationships will be healed. It's so good that part of the Lord's Supper, part of communion is recognizing that, yeah, things are not right right now, but someday God will make everything right. This meal that brings us together as one body because of our union with Jesus, he will bring final and total healing to even relationships. So as we take the Lord's Supper, be filled with hope of what only God can and will do. Meals together, obviously, it, it is a part of it. Um, I don't have a ton of time here, and part of it is I've talked about this, uh, I think, plenty, but, man, have people over. Have people to your apartment or to your house, or, or if that's too stressful to you, go grab a meal out together because there's something about eating together, right? It's different than just having a conversation together. It slows us down. It, it, there's something about it that breaks down walls and, and increases our intimacy with one another. And last, last one that they were devoted to is they were devoted to the prayers. Now, when we think of prayers, we, we probably think of prayers in a, in a more limited way than what the early church practiced. Uh, my guess is that when you think of prayer, you think of someone, whether it's yourself or someone else, just off the top of their head, praying things that are on their heart and their mind. It's, it's spontaneous. It, it's got little to no prior thought before praying these things. And we might think of praying this way as, as raw and authentic, and it certainly can be, but it's also not the only way that we pray. I stumbled upon this quote. It says, one reason prayer is so hard for Christians today is we aren't willing to accept any help. And there, there are prayers that we have access to that were intentionally crafted that are beautiful, that have depth to them, that are worthy of thinking about long after we pray them. There are prayers in Scripture that we should be praying. There are passages in Scripture that aren't prayers, but they can fuel our prayers. Uh, sometimes as I'm singing on a Sunday, I find that, that really what I'm doing as I'm singing is, is praying these words. So when it says the early church was devoted to the prayers, it wasn't one or the other. It was both, right? There were specific times of prayers in certain ways, and there were times where, where they just prayed. Like, we, we call it popcorn prayer, and I, I never understand why everyone knows what that means, but popcorn prayer where everyone's just kind of praying as, as it comes to them. But prayer is, is so much more important, I think, than, than the modern church realizes. It's difficult to look back in the history of Christianity to find great movements of God in any part of the world and, and, and not find that they were preceded by prayer and a lot of prayer. And yet, the most, uh, and yet most of the time at a church, the least attended event or meeting will be a prayer meeting. So is prayer an area of your life uh, in, in Christ that you are devoted to? Or is it just something you kind of do sometimes? Or maybe you do have set times. Maybe it's when you get up in the morning realizing that I need to talk with God first thing. Or maybe it's when you go to bed. Or maybe it's putting your kids to bed. But, but these four things are the four things that they were devoted to. And then let me zoom in really quickly on three results 
Uh, two of them are in 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were getting saved. So the, the first result is favor. It favor in their community. Yes, we will see uh, great persecution that they face. But, but there was favor among uh, those who did not know Jesus in their local community. And the second is souls were getting saved. Right? As they lived life, they were clearly talking about Jesus. Right? Not just with other Christians, but they were talking about Jesus as they were going through their daily life, as they were conducting business, as they were out and about. Right? And there were people certainly that saw this community and saw how they loved each other and like, what is that? I want some of that. So even though the early church was together a ton, they weren't in a Christian bubble. Right? They, were, they were with people who did not know Jesus. And the third result is in verse 43, an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this, this awe, there's this fear of God. The, the word for awe, there's where we get the word phobia from. There's this, this right fear of God. So as they studied the apostles' teaching, they're growing more and more in understanding how great Yahweh is. And it, it, the, the awe wasn't just the signs and wonders. Like he, he makes it very clear here. Like it, it was more than the signs and wonders, though. That was a part of it. They were in awe of God. And these are three things that, that the church can't produce, right? This is a work uh, of Jesus by the Spirit and bringing, bringing about in his people what he wants. So let's get back to the, the four things they were devoted to. And, and if you're like me, you're sitting here, you're looking at these four Four ways they're devoted, and you're like, man, I need to grow in every one of those ways. I'm sure that is true. I guarantee that's true for each one of us. But this morning, my encouragement to you is, is ask the Lord, okay, what, what's one? Holy Spirit, what's one you want me to focus on in this next season of my life? Would you just press one on me that I really need to grow in? So maybe for you, it's, it's growing in uh, being devoted to, to Scripture, so uh, how, how do you make this happen? Well, the first thing you have to do if you're not doing this at all is you got to make room for it. And there are people that, that will swear to you that the only time or the best time that you should read Scripture is in the morning right when you wake up. Um, and, and that might be best. And I can make arguments for why that uh, might be the best time to read your Bible. But I also know in different seasons of life, that might sound the best, but it might not practically be the best. So right now, maybe the best is on your lunch break. Or, or maybe it's after you get your kids down to bed before you, I don't know, watch TV or play Word with friends or whatever. Uh, or students, maybe it's, maybe it's right after school, right before sports, before homework or video games or whatever. I really don't care what time it is, but, but make it regular. Like daily carve out the space to, to just be with God in his word. And I know I say this all the time. Don't do it alone. Get, get a partner. And it's crazy. Like, I mean, we can even FaceTime with someone if that's what we need to. Or like Lauren Yoder, he's, he's doing a Zoom Bible study with his son. Sorry for calling you out without saying that beforehand. Um, but, but like we can, we have so much access to, to, to one another. Like we, we can get in God's word together. Maybe for you it's the fellowship. Right? Maybe it means committing to, to being at church regularly. Or, or maybe, maybe you are at church regularly, but you don't put yourself out there. Like maybe you need to start meeting some people. Or, or maybe you've got tons of friends here, but you never talk about anything real, right? You just talk about sports and, and weather and, and fishing. I know that sounds like me, um, but, but maybe you need, to, you need to take some risks and, and, and start being vulnerable with some people. 
Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's forming a small group, right? A Bible study or an accountability group or prayer group or, or, or something together to encourage one another in Christ. Or perhaps you're already in a small group. You go every week, but, but you're not actually committed to those people. Like you're there, but, but you're not really walking through life with them. You're not really praying for them. Like maybe start writing down the things that they ask for prayer for so you can remember it through the week. Breaking a bread, maybe come to Lord's Supper every Sunday, just walking through the motions. Maybe your mind wanders, right, when, when, when we introduce our time for the Lord's Supper or, or as we're singing that song, you're not even really thinking about anything that has to do with Jesus. Maybe it's time to take advantage of this meal that, that we have each and every week together as God's people. Or lastly, prayers. Hey, start praying with somebody. Or, or perhaps you need to incorporate structure into your prayer life. There are great apps right now that make it so easy to organize lists uh, of things you want to pray for, people, ministries, all kinds of things, and, and it'll help you rotate them through uh, each and every day. Uh, man, I'd encourage you, buy this book of Puritan Prayers, uh, the Valley of Vision, and uh, Spring for the Bonded Leather Edition. It holds up way better. Someone told me that, and they were so, so right. Um, Man, start praying more. Maybe you start a prayer journal like, like so many uh, brothers and sisters in Christ do. So I just ask you, which, which of these four, which do you need to grow in devotion to? Would you pray with me now? Jesus, we love you, Lord. And we are grateful, God, that, that you are so gracious with us as we, we so often just stumble and fall in following you, Jesus. We can get distracted or we get lazy or who knows what the reason is. And yet, God, you are so good to continue to continue to help us, to continue to draw us near to you. Jesus, I pray that, that as a church we would grow. I pray that we would be a people that are devoted to you, Lord. And, and Luke gave us four great ways that, that, that we need to grow. And Lord, if there's, if there's one certain way, Lord, uh, for, for each of us today. Lord, would you press that upon our hearts? Lord, would, would, we, would we actually see the beauty in these things, Lord? And, and would we long to know you, Lord, to, to worship you by, by meeting with you, by following, by being committed to, to your people, Lord, by, by remembering, God, to, to pray for one another, by not taking this, this meal that we're about to celebrate, not taking it lightly, Jesus. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.